turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Travis read a couple of uh, the verses from the passage this morning. I want us to begin by looking at this one more time in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, it's really cool to be able to read God's word and to see some lessons that we can take and apply to our own lives. And so let's read this story here just a little bit. And look with me in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we are... So thankful to be in your house today, God. I'm so thankful for those that have taken up the opportunity to be here, God. I'm so grateful for our visitors and our guests that are here today, God. I pray that you'd encourage them. We're so thankful that they joined with us to worship you. God, we're thankful for our Battlefield family that is gathered around your throne today to give you the praise and the honor that you so richly deserve. God, I pray that you'll... Use uh, my lips as a vessel that you can flow through this morning. And Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And God, that my words might bring you honor and glory. God, I pray that today that if there's someone in our midst or somebody listening online, God, that, that has never placed their faith in Christ, that today they might realize that they have need of a Savior and that they might ask the Lord to forgive them and to come into their heart, and to begin that change. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of music. God, we're so blessed by the songs that we've sung and the songs that we've heard today. God, I pray that you would just, as has already been mentioned, that you would just add your sweet spirit of grace and mercy upon these ones who are preparing for surgery, those who have had surgery, those who are in hospitals or in hospice care. God, we give you all the thanks. We're grateful because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. God, I pray that you'll be honored. pray that you'll use this message for your purposes. And I give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Today we kind of continue our series, Lessons, Christmas Lessons. And 
today I want to talk to you about the cruel man of Christmas. The cruel man of Christmas. And uh, no, I'm not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. Although he was a cruel dude, wasn't he, for a while? I'm not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch who stole Christmas. Although I had a taste of some Grinch cookies this morning, which were phenomenal, by the way. I won't point out who made them, but they were phenomenal. I'm not talking about the Grinch who stole Christmas. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not even talking about Clark Griswold's boss. I see what movies you've been watching. I want to see if there might be maybe one or two lessons that we might be able to extract from this story of a man who long, 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 long time ago actually tried, listen, he actually tried to kill Christmas. He actually tried to kill Christmas. He's not a make-believe character. He's not somebody on the movie screens. He was very real. He was, he was a man who hated Christmas without ever hearing the word. And you've probably guessed it already. His name was Herod. Herod, much of what we know about Herod, we have to learn through history. We have to go to the history books. Not a lot is revealed about Herod in Scripture. We have a little bit, uh, and then the successors of Herod. But uh, what we know from history is that he was dubbed Herod the Great, not because he was great, but for the fact that he was the oldest son of a man by the name of Antipater. Antipater was actually uh, appointed, uh, if you please, the procurator of Judea in 47 B.C. And as the oldest son of Antipater, uh, Herod became known as Herod the Great because he was the eldest, not because he was really that great, as we'll find out. But his father Antipater, after he had served a while, he decided to promote two of his boys to what we would call uh, ruling positions. And uh, at that time, he appointed Herod as the governor over Judea. Uh, Judea. And uh, during the early days, here's some, there are a few positives. During the early days of Herod's reign, the Romans actually appreciated the way that Herod was actually able to maintain order among the Jewish people. He was a ruthless fighter, he was a cunning negotiator, and a subtle diplomat. These qualities, along with the fact that he was intensely loyal to the emperor, made him a fan favorite, so to speak, among the Romans. In 40 BC, after being appointed the king of Judea, he was direct control, he was over all the Jewish people. Now think about this, here's a man who was not born Jewish, he was not Jewish by religion, however, he was known as, are you ready for it, the king of the Jews. Now you begin to see where we have a little bit of problems that are going to begin to take place in his life. He was conscious of the Jews' hatred for him. They hated him for the fact that he was known as the king of the Jews, and yet he was not Jewish-born or Jewish by religion. And so they had a, had a real personal hatred towards Herod. Conscious of Jewish national and religious feelings, Herod actually moved very slowly when it came to things like taxation, Hellenism, which is a, a school of Greek thought that kind of influenced the Jewish thinking of those days. He was very slow to implement any uh, Hellenistic uh, thoughts, and he was very slow to move on religious uh, changes 
because of the hatred they felt to him. He was able to foster some goodwill with the Jews uh, when he prevented the Romans from actually raiding and defiling the temple at Jerusalem. After that time, what we know from history is that Herod actually ended up marrying into one of the, the more prominent Jewish families in Judea. And so he thought, hey, if I marry into uh, the family, then maybe they will love me a little bit more. Herod established his rule and his authority through centralized bureaucracy, well-built fortresses, and foreign soldiers. However, here's where we get to know the real Herod. Over the years, he continued his rule by slaughtering anyone who got in his way. If you got in Herod's way, you ended up on your way, so to speak. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his brother-in-law. And the wife, his first wife, Miriamne, he killed her, right? The one who he hoped to foster a little bit of goodwill by marrying into this prominent Jewish family. He ended up killing her when she became suspicious. I wonder why she was suspicious of Herod. Her murder actually truly begins the downfall or the decline of his, of his rule. His policies of force and cruelty were continually implemented under his leadership. His personal life was always in what you and I would refer to as crisis mode. And by 14 B.C., his kingdom began to decline. And it was in actually in 7 B.C. when his two sons, remember they had two sons, Alexander and uh, Aristobulus, they actually realized that good old dad was responsible for mom's death. And so guess what? They go and they confront their dad. And you know what dad does? He has his two boys slaughtered. He has them strangled to death because they, he was fearing for his rule. In fact, it was said by Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus said of Herod this. He said it was better to be his sow, i.e. his hog, rather than to be his son. This is what was known of Herod in history. This man killed out of spite. This man killed to stay in power. And human life to King Herod meant absolutely nothing. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus called Herod barbaric, while another person labeled him the malevolent maniac because killing is what Herod did for a living. Ten marriages and 15 children later, Herod's health begins to decline. His body is racked with all sorts of problems. And now we enter into Matthew chapter 2 when the wise men come on the scene. And so I wrote in my notes, Herod's health is declining, his kingdom is fading away, and here come a band of wise guys asking questions. Notice what they do right off the, off the bat. I think about Herod in this position. Notice the words that would have set him off immediately. Notice verse 1 and 2 again. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now notice what verse 2 says. It says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. First of all, it was like I was telling the guys at the men's prayer breakfast. Who are these guys? Where did they come from? What is this star that they're speaking of? 
And the answer all the way down is we don't know, we don't know, and we don't know. And yet I can't help but to think that as soon as these guys tell Herod, they say, we have come to see him who is born king of the Jews. I can't imagine. I, I Think about Herod. He's probably thinking, you came to see the king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. But I wasn't born king of the Jews. I've had to fight to gain and to maintain this position. And so I can't imagine what he's thinking. But notice what verse 3 says. Because verse 3 records his internal response. It says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. You remember what the Bible said last week when we looked at Mary's story, the lesson from a teenager? It said when the angel told her that she was going to conceive, that the Holy Ghost was going to come upon her and the power of the uh, highest was going to overshadow her, when she saw the angel and when she, she heard, Hail Mary, how, uh, thou that art highly favored, the Bible says she was troubled. It's the same word. It's the same Greek word. And it actually means that she was, uh, or that Herod was uh, troubled. It means that he was distressed. He was disturbed. He was agitated. When these guys say, we have come to see. We were looking for this one who is born king of the Jews. Why would this have disturbed him? Now listen. He's the king of the Jews, so he certainly knew that the Jews had been praying and waiting and looking for a what? A Messiah. They're waiting for a Messiah. But remember, in this time period, Herod knew this as well. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and squash the Romans. They weren't looking for a spiritual Messiah. They were looking for one who was head and shoulders above the rest, if you please, Someone who could take things under control. In fact, the idea of a Messiah, they were looking for the very one that God would send to save and to deliver them. And then also the very one who was going to reign as king. Verse number 3, look at it again. Verse number 3, it says, And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And notice what it also says. And all Jerusalem with him. You see, the Jews were already troubled because they knew he was a cruel man. They knew he was a cruel man, and guess what? I'm guessing that when these wise men approach King Herod, that he's not alone. I'm guessing all his servants are there. And I'm guessing they heard that these wise men are looking for the one who is born King of the Jews. And they're probably like, oh. because they already know what he does to family, right? Mother-in-law, gone. Brother-in-law, gone. Wife, gone. First two children, gone. They know the temperament of this king. And so I'm guessing news spreads rather quickly. Look at verse 4 and 6. 4 through 6 because things begin to heat up. Because Herod, what does he do? He immediately gathers the quote-unquote religious crowd. He gathers the chief priest and the scribes together. And notice, I love this, he demands, in verse number 4, he demands of them where Christ should be born. It's amazing to me that he never demanded this before. He never demanded this before. He never asked where this Messiah would be born. And yet then when these pagans come in 
and they say, we have seen his star. We want to know where he who has been born king of the Jews is. He demands of the religious crowd where Christ is to be born. And in verse number 5 and 6, we read how they confirm to Herod. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, Judea, Bethlehem of Judea is about six miles from where Herod was. You mean he's going to be born right here? Right down the road? He's going to be born right down here in Gainesville? I mean, let's think about it. Put it to, into application, folks. This isn't a far distance away. And he says, oh my goodness, it says, Herod says when he asked them, it says they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem. They're referencing what the prophet Micah says in Micah 5, 2. It says, and in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou not least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Herod may have been cruel, folks, but Herod was not, Herod was not lacking in common sense. And so notice what he does. He hears that the baby is going to be born in Jerusalem. And so he says, hey, wise men, come on over here. He calls them privately away. Why does he do this? Because I'm guessing that Herod says, these guys have no clue who I am. These guys don't know how cruel I am. They don't know what I will do to maintain my kingdom, my, my, my. And so he privately calls them away. Notice the Bible says in verse number 7 and 8, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, he inquires of them diligently what time the star appeared and sent them to Bethlehem. And then, what a farce. He says, go and search diligently for the young child. <laughs> and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. Someone had said this, and I wrote it down. It says, all tyrants are cowards at heart. All tyrants are cowards at heart because they rule by force and the one thing they fear the most is a force greater than theirs. Can I remind everybody here, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, we have a great force ruling and reigning in our hearts and our lives, and his name is Jesus. Listen, think about from Herod's perspective. If the Jewish Messiah has truly come, if we look at Scripture and the Messiah has truly come, then Herod would ultimately, at this point, if the baby has been born, then for Herod to maintain in power, he would be ruling in opposition to God Almighty. And so in his mind, he surmises that the only way out is that this child must die. Oh, God sending someone to be born king of the Jews? Well, if he's going to be born, he's an infant. And I've killed many a people, and an infant is nothing for me, and so I'll just kill him. So you guys go on down the road. When you find out where he's been born, you come back and you tell me where he lives because I want to go and worship him. Remember, they have no clue. They've come from the east. They don't know all about Herod. They're just following a star. And so from his perspective, it's apparent that he wanted to kill the child. That's why in verse number 7 he says he diligently inquired of them when the child should be born. He needed to know the exact point 
in which they saw the star. By the way, this is kind of a fun way of looking at things. Do you think Herod saw a star? Hmm. I don't hear of anybody else following a star. Except for wise men. I don't know. You say, is the star supernatural? I don't know, but I know one thing. I know the wise men followed it from the east. And they came to where Jesus was. In verse number 16, it's apparent at this point. Look over in verse 16 because it's apparent at this point that the wise men have disregarded and disobeyed and deceived Herod. And so Herod, after returning, uh, he takes matters into his own hands. And verse number 16 tells us what he's going to do. Remember, he inquires diligently when the child's born. And verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was exceeding wroth. That word wroth means he was basically angry. He was agitated. He was angry. He's not only troubled now, he is fiercely angry. He's hostile. And so he sends forth, and notice what the Bible says, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. But here's the one thing I love. In Herod's analysis and in his equation, it's like a mathematical equation. In his analysis and in his equation, he forgets to factor in one thing. He forgets to factor in God. He forgets to factor in the all-powerful, the omnipotent, the omniscient God of the universe. Because you see what happens, he sends these guys out. But what he doesn't know is that in verse number 12, the angel has come and warned the wise men that they need to go home a different way. They say, hey listen, I know that you guys are going to go east, but you need to pull up MapQuest. And you need to take another route. Do not go back. Do not go back towards Herod. I told the men last Saturday when we had our breakfast, how amazing is it that when we exercise faith like the wise men and we worship Christ, we never, ever leave the same. We go back differently than when we came. The same is true. See, God warns the wise men, says, hey, listen, go east. But then the very next verse, it's amazing to me. Verse number 12 warns the wise men. And verse number 13, in a dream, Joseph is warned of God to go west. And so here's the thing. Herod thinks he's done all these great things. He's put to death this, this baby, so to speak, that has been born king of the Jews. We got wise men going to the east. We got Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus going to the west. And there's Herod. Look at me. Look at all I've done. I've put down this so-called rebellion. In his rage and fury, Herod orders the cold-blooded murder of every child in Bethlehem from two years of age and under. I ask a difficult question of you this morning. Can you imagine the scene? Moms? Dads? We don't often mention this. Can you imagine the scene of slaughter in Bethlehem? Herod sent his men in. And can you imagine any male child that was two years of age or younger? Sleep, sleep. It's a bloodbath. Have you ever thought, think about this for a second. Have you ever thought about all those little children that lost their life? 
so that the Savior of the world could come. What an amazing thought. God in his, God in his goodness, listen, even in the midst of a horrific, horrific scene, Herod could not win. God always wins. Listen, in one fell swoop, Herod believes that he's put an end to any mention of a newborn king or Messiah, but praise God, he's wrong. He's wrong. In fact, look over at verse number 19. Remember, I told you his health is declining. Herod's health is declining. His kingdom is fading away. And he's trying with all his power to hold on to what is his. It was said in verse number 19, it says, but when Herod was dead. Now, just stop there for a second. It says when Herod was dead. And so there was a place in time when Herod dies. Josephus also reports in history that Herod wanted people to lament. He wanted people to, to, uh, to mourn his loss, and yet they hated him. And so this was, this was thought of that he went around and that he had all the most prominent Jewish people in the region arrested and imprisoned. And he told his men that at the very moment he died to execute all these people. Now this was said that he did this so that there would actually be guaranteed mourning throughout all the kingdom. Now, I don't know. That's what's been reported. I know there's some that say they're not sure that took place. But can you imagine the maniacal mind of Herod that he would arrest and imprison some of the most prominent Jews of the land so that at the moment he died, they would be executed so that their family members and others would mourn and weep so that in his little twisted way, not even him, but he would think that people were mourning for him. This is how twisted this man was. He's a cruel man. He tried to kill Christmas physically, but as I look around, folks, as I look around in 2018, I'm afraid many are still trying to undermine and do away with Christmas, not physically, but spiritually. Today, the responses to Christmas and to the Christmas message are as diverse as they were in the days of Herod. And so I ask you, how do you respond to the Christmas message? Because you see, I know a few things. Some people respond like Herod with aggression or hostility. He, he responded with aggression. In fact, we'll look at this on Christmas Eve. But in John chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. Listen, this is what took place. Herod was an angry man. Today there are still those who oppose the spiritual truth and the good news that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified and he died for our sins and that he was buried. And, and you know the story and that he gloriously arose three days later, conquering sin and, gra and the grave and hell. He did that for you and for me. And yet there are some today that when you share the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, they're hostile. They're aggressive about that message. There are many still trying to eradicate or extinguish, if you please, any word or mention of Jesus at all. That's, so some people, they respond like Herod with aggression. Some other people respond like the chief priests and scribes. The chief priests and scribes. Remember, Herod calls him in and he says, hey, where is this baby supposed to be born, right? And what do the scribes and the, and, the, and the chief priests say? They say he's to be born where? But they never go. 
They tell Herod the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And you got these wise men, and I don't know how many there are, whether there's three, whether there's 30. I know that they brought three gifts to Jesus, right? Right? One speaking of his, of his richness, one speaking of his kingship, and one pointing towards his ultimate death. And so I, I know that they come. And so the scribes and the chief priests, they said, yeah, the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. And guess what? I see a whole lot of indifference, a whole lot of apathy. They know where the baby's going to be born. They have witnesses saying they have seen his star in the east and they're following the star, but they don't even have the faith of a mustard seed to get off their high horse and go on over to Bethlehem and check it out for themselves. They responded with apathy. So we got one, the king responding with aggression. We got the scribes and the chief priests responding with apathy. Yes, Krista, I did it. A-A-A words. My wife's laughing at me. The other day, I have to interlude. The other day, I was putting the message together, and I did not have A words. And many of you know I like to alliterate. And so my word was, <laughs> my word was indifference. And I began to think about it. I had Herod as being hostile, and the chief priests and scribes as being indifferent. And I said, you know what? He responded with aggression. Ah, that works. And then apathy works. And But guess what? There are also some that respond like the wise men. And hopefully you know what word I'm looking for. They responded with anticipation. They were anticipating the king's birth. They were anticipating a time when they could come and they could worship him. We have the aggression. We have the apathy. But then the wise men, the The ones who knew the least about Jesus were the ones that worshipped him. The ones who knew nothing about him. All they knew was what had been revealed to them. They said, oh, we've seen his star in the east. And we've followed that star. And we've come for one purpose only. They came for what purpose? They came to worship him. They had an anticipation of worshiping Christ the Lord. Listen, I think about this Emmanuel, God with us, the greatest Christmas of all. Think about God wrapped in human flesh. Herod knew all that he needed to know, but he tried to kill him. The scribes and the chief priests knew all that they needed to know, but they basically ignored him. But the wise men, all they knew was that they knew his star and they followed his star and they came and they made it a priority to worship him. And so I simply ask, what about you? What about me? What is your response to the message of Christmas? Are you hostile? Are you at a time in your life when, when you're a little aggressive? You're, you're exercising a little aggression because things aren't working out the way you think they should be? Are you hostile towards Jesus today? Or are you a little apathetic? Well, I came to worship. I mean, doesn't that count for something? Yes, it counts for something. Yes, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Right? But even so much more as you see the day approaching, we're to continue to worship together. We're to continue to encourage one another. But I believe that in this Christmas season, if we're not careful, we get so busy with everything else about Christmas, we become a little apathetic. Or are you ready to respond with the anticipation every day, not just on Sunday, every day to get up 
and to worship the newborn king of Christmas. When you get up and you have to get on I-66, I pray for you because I did it. I've been there, done that. Got the diploma to show for it, right? If you get up and you've got to go into work and your boss is horrific to you, your boss is more like Herod than you could even imagine. Take time to worship the king. Anticipate the opportunity to worship Jesus every day you wake up. I guarantee you one thing. If you get up in the morning and you're anticipating the opportunity to worship Jesus, your day is going to be better already. No matter what the world throws at you. And I can assure you they will throw a lot of things at you. It's been said that if information alone could save you. I love this. It's been said that if information alone could save you, then Herod the Great would have been saved. But information alone cannot and will not save you. It's not enough for you to know. But what you know and what you do about what you know is what leads to salvation. You see, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God from heaven, if you believe that He's the promised Messiah, if you believe that He's the Savior of the world, if you believe that He came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, if you believe that He died on the cross for your sins and my sins, if you believe that He rose from the dead, if you believe that He ascended into heaven, and if you believe that, as He said, soon and very soon, one day soon, I'm coming back to receive you, that where I am there you may be also, if you believe that, Believe that. Why not? Why not place your faith in Christ today? Oh, the lessons from a cruel man remind me that I need to check my heart every day and to have an anticipation of the opportunity to worship Jesus. And I pray that that's your desire. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.